Welcome to the Without a Hitch podcast, episode 7. Wait, what did you say? This will be part 1 of 2 episodes about language and working out what things mean, generally by saying the wrong things first, and then looking back on them to either laugh or cringe. We'll hear a series of tales about terrible faux pas, the difficulty of teaching irony to secondary school students, a rendezvous with a supermarket scanner, a starfish and how it relates to a universal theory of humour, and to close out, quaint things your five-year-old daughter says after listening to a lot of Enid Blyton books. Into the Wild. Blurts and faux pas, when you don't know what the right thing to say is until you've already said the wrong one. Language always carries with it a degree of uncertainty. You're comfortable on your own street, within the bounds of what you know. The houses, the people, the turns, the yard with the noisy dog. Beyond your street, you might know the grid of the streets, how to navigate from one place to the next. Beyond the city edge, you might know how to get to another city, although you might need a map. You might venture into new territory or walk into the bush. You might get lost, and if you walk far enough, you'll hit the ocean. At high school, I felt paralysed by language, painfully aware of saying the wrong thing, which unfortunately could doom you to weeks, months, years of mockery. When I lived in Japan, I was aware of my limited language skills in the beginning, but I was more curious than afraid. I would wonder, what kind of person do I come across as to my Japanese friends? A goofy simpleton, speaking in childish, clipped phrases, lacking the advanced language skills of tact and subtlety? Now, as I watch the vocabulary of my own children grow, I'm delighted to see them emboldened by their own language experimentation. I love that they'll take a punt at almost any combination of the phrases at their disposal, with not a care in the world of any wildly inappropriate connotations that might ensue. This is a collection of moments where my children or I have pushed close to, or beyond, the boundaries of our own language into the wild. Cretan Creton. I was a bookish teenager and sometimes I'd blurt out a word not from the typical high school lexicon, from an old novel perhaps, and immediately regret it. One day a guy I'll call Charles, who could be exceptionally nasty, had me cornered in the common room, hassling me for laughing the wrong way. Don't be such a cretin, I said. Charles was a really smart guy. To have a word he didn't know thrown at him sent him into a rage. He snatched a dictionary off his shelf and started skimming through the pages. A guy in my year, Mark, came over to witness this dark crossword game. The word Charles found in the dictionary was creton, C-R-E-T-O-N-N-E, which means a heavy cotton fabric, typically with a floral pattern printed on one or both sides used for upholstery. He glared at me. Oh, is that right? Horrible nickname redacted. Am I a roll of cotton? Nice comeback, said Charles. I think he means this word here, cretin, C-R-E-T-I-N. A very stupid person, said Mark. Shut up, Mark. Horrible nickname redacted here thinks that I am a roll of cotton, said Charles, now delighted. A Duck Duck Dugan There's a Street Fighter arcade machine at our wonderful local coffee roastery, Dark Horse. Last year we were there with our daughter Ida having a coffee while the Street Fighter demo played in the background. I haven't played the game much, but I know that one of the signature fighters is a guy named Ryu who wears a white gi and a red headband. 
Liu has a special move where he jumps and does a spin kick over and over, saying what I've always heard as a duck-duck-dugan. Ida went over to have a play of the game. She didn't have any money to put into it, but she was happy to hold the joystick and mash the buttons. We went back to our coffees, but then noticed Ida was jumping up and down. I could see Liu on screen over her shoulder. I killed the white man, she yelled. On screen, Liu went down, but then got up again and then got knocked down again. I killed the white man, she repeated. I killed the white man. An old man, waiting for his coffee, walked over to me, and I thought I was about to be scolded for having a rowdy child. But he just smiled and said, I think she's killed the white man. Green. In my first year of university, I lived in a hostel called Warehouse. One day, the hostel ran a treasure hunt where you had to form groups and pursue a set of clues around Wellington. The other groups were all getting ready to run it, donning sneakers and running gear, stretching. But some friends from my floor, Chris, George, Triffham and James, and I planned to use Triffham's Nissan Fun Top instead. We hadn't seen that it was against the rules, but just to be sure, we didn't ask, we didn't tell anyone, and we planned to leave last once everyone was gone. The hostel had supplied each group with a bunch of bananas. We each grabbed one from our bunch while we waited for the other groups to leave. Chris took a banana and put it to his ear like it was a walkie-talkie. We are approaching the drop-off point. Over. This sparked a wave of banana-com improv. The crescendo of walkie-talkie gags was just fading when I piped up. Alpha, alpha, roger, roger, niner, niner, I said. No one laughed. Silence. Chris snatched the banana out of my hand, shook it, and held it to his ear. Looks like Richie's banana is a little green, he said, deadpan, locking eyes with me. I'm not sure any line since has made me wilt more. Right, let's go, Chris said, jumping into the front seat. Rich, you're in the back. In the middle. Mortal faux pas. It was autumn in Japan. I had an action-packed lesson ready for one of my kindergarten classes. We said our greetings, and I'd just explained the first game. Mina shiriso, I said. This was a construction I'd recently learned, adding so to the end of a verb or adjective to indicate looks like. Looks like it's cold. Looks like fun. Looks like you understand. I thought I'd said something to the effect of looks like everyone knows what to do. But their little smiles disappeared. Their teacher, standing at the back, quickly jumped in with a translation correction. Shite iso the teacher said. That meant something more like, it looks like you all know what to do. The teacher gave me this look that roughly translated to, what the actual fuck. I realised it might have sounded like, shiniso, it looks like you're all going to die. This lesson is going to be a blast, you're going to have so much fun. On that occasion, maybe, at best, I merely came across as an idiot. Someone who says, wildly inappropriate things, then retracts them afterwards. But a few months later, talking to my friend Kana over Skype one evening, I came across as something much worse. I could hear some faint music in the background at Kana's place, so I smiled and said, Nani o kiteru? What are you listening to? Kana was quiet for a long time. Too long. Pajama, she said softly. Oh, Jesus. It was the long I sound I realised after the call. That's the difference between asking someone, what are you listening to? And... What are you wearing? Teaching irony. Demonstrating how irony works by living ironically. So sir, what does irony actually mean? Ah, well that's a good question. 
One kind of irony is when, in the pursuit of one thing, you achieve the opposite of what you intended. Like what, sir? Well, the other day I had socks on and I wanted to go out on the deck, but it was wet outside and it had been raining for a while. So I had run out of socks, except for the pair I was wearing. So I started to put on my gumboots, which were beside the door, but I didn't realise that they were full of water, so one sock got completely wet. So then I only had one sock for work, so in trying to keep my socks dry, I made them wet. You should have checked, sir. My gumboots? Yeah, you should have checked your gumboots, so irony is like being careless. No, it's when something turns out odd or funny because things pan out the opposite to what you expect. This is actually close to some theories of what humour is, the subversion of our expectations in a way that surprises and entertains us. What does subversion mean? Um, in this example, the simplest definition is perhaps to go against. So irony can be funny, sir. The conditions for humour and irony are somewhat similar, so often, yes. Maybe that's why in one form or another, videos of people having accidents doing everyday things have remained very popular over time. Your gumboot story wasn't very funny, sir, and it took you a while to get to the point. Yes, that's true. How about this one? When I lived in Japan, one time I was riding my bike and rushing to the train station to get to a doctor's appointment at the hospital. The bike had a dynamo and it was whirring like crazy. Wait, what's a dynamo? It's um, a light on the front of your bike that's powered by the front wheel turning. You can turn it on and off with your toe. Okay, carry on. Well, the dynamo was whirring like crazy from riding in the dark on the previous evening, so I went to turn it off with my toe, as I'd done a thousand times before. Is a thousand times irony? Well, no, that would be exaggeration or hyperbole, except not really, because if I did the maths, it may well actually have been about a thousand times over the course of three years. Anyway, my toe slipped and went into the spokes, and the front wheel jammed with my foot in it, and I flew over the handlebars. That sounds more tragic than ironic. Well, there's even another form of irony, dramatic irony, which is where the people watching a character, like in a play, understand the meaning behind what is happening even when the characters themselves don't. Okay, that one seems a bit confusing. You're right, I'm confusing things. Anyway, this episode with the bike is ironic because in rushing to the hospital to get attention for one injury, I ended up giving myself a more serious injury. After I saw the doctor, he asked if there was anything else I needed, so I showed him my terrible swollen elbow, and he said it was almost certainly broken. Okay. Okay? That was the best personal example of irony I could think of. Oh well. I think I understand the irony, sir, but it's not funny. I thought you said something about it needing to be funny. Yes, humour can be a part of it. Another form of irony is when you use language that's intentionally the opposite of what you really mean, often to be funny. But irony isn't always about the lols. Ah, too many ironies, sir. This is confusing. You should have stopped at one. Oh well, fair point. So like, we always enjoy your English class, Mr Allardyce. Could be irony then. Because you don't always enjoy my class? Yeah, well, not always. Sorry. I'm not sure if that's the best example of irony. Perhaps just cutting sarcasm or straight-up cruelty? There is some overlap between this kind of irony and sarcasm, though. So, sir, yeah? You wanted the class to understand what irony means, but now we've heard your explanation, it seems like we understand what irony means even less. Is that irony? Well, I guess you could call that irony of a kind. That's the bell, sir. It is. We didn't finish our talk about irony. That's ironic. Um, kind of. Kind of.
Date not needed. A rendezvous with a supermarket checkout machine. Key please. A checkout assistant is calling for the supervisor. I've scanned a bottle of wine and now the red light on top of my self-checkout station is flashing. People are generally happy to get ID'd at the supermarket and take it as an endorsement. The supervisor has taken a cursory glance at their face and thinks, okay, there's an edge chance this person is relatively young. Better check their ID. I don't get ID'd, generally never have. On this occasion, the supervisor takes in my white beard and haggard look and determines there is not a shadow of a chance that I am underage. She then jostles past me, sighing at having to deal with this bullshit a hundred times a day, inserts the key and mashes a button that reads, Date not needed. Date not needed. Such an indictment. There is no need to consider your date. Your date was such a long time ago. After the supervisor leaves, I add the reusable bag at the wrong step, and the machine pipes up with another alert. Unexpected item in bagging area. The supervisor, halfway back to her desk, turns on her heel, sighs heavily, and comes back for a better look. Not just at my face, but at my groceries too. The judging is not quite over, although we both wish it was. Star of the Sky A great deal of academic energy has gone into answering the question, what makes something funny? The quest for a unifying theory of laughter. What the theories boil down to is this. I did not expect that, but I enjoyed that I didn't. One of the delights of parenthood is watching your kids develop a sense of humour. My son, Nico, daughter, Ida, and I were sitting on the couch one morning, thumbing through an early printing of David Attenborough's Life on Earth, and we came across a picture of a Panama tree frog. I sketched a picture of that for a friend's birthday a few years back, I told them. You have a friend? my daughter asked, her voice full of wonder, eyes wide like that tree frog. Nico and I started laughing immediately. Ida didn't understand what she'd said, but Nico knew that it's inherently funny, one, to be surprised that I have any friends, and two, to use friend, singular. For weeks afterwards, something would remind Nico of that tree frog, and he'd struggled to get out the sentence through the laughing. Papa, remember when Ida said, you have a friend? Neither of us expected it, but we both enjoyed that we didn't. It was an instant classic for our shared catalogue of historical gags. Eventually we'll come to know each other's sense of humour so well that we'll be able to make each other laugh across the room with nothing but eye contact. Maybe someone mentioned a Panama tree frog. This is the mark of knowing someone really well, I think, and it's pretty special to share with your kids. A few months later, we were walking along a beach in Wellington on a blazing hot summer day. Nico and Ida found a starfish way above the tide line, marooned in the white sand. Nico picked it up tenderly, and he and Ida marvelled at the hundreds of tube feet poking out from beneath it, still waving weakly. Take me back to the water. Once you've had a look, you should take it back to the sea, I said. It doesn't look well. Nico walked the starfish to the sea, slowly, one step at a time, not wanting to drop his precious cargo. He got to the shallows and dipped his toes in. Here I expected him to place the poor thing on the wet sand to see if it might muster the strength to return to the ocean. Perhaps to cup some seawater in his hands and pour it over the creature. 
Instead, Nico rotated his body like he was preparing for an Olympic shot put throw, whipped his arm around and threw the starfish as high and far towards the horizon as he could. It spun slowly along a lazy arc and entered the water about 10 metres in front of us with a slap. It was a pretty good throw. I wanted to maintain some solemnity here, but I couldn't help it. The laughter burst forth unbidden. What? Nico asked. What's funny? Well, you were holding the starfish so tenderly, being so careful, then you just hiffed it into the sea like a stone. Nico laughed and I laughed. We both felt bad and hoped the starfish was okay, but damn, it was funny. A year later, Nico still regularly brings this up. Remember when I threw the starfish, Papa? It's another one for the catalogue. I hope the starfish was okay. For whatever reason, that starfish had ventured far up onto a sun-baked beach. When he was delivered, airmail, back to the ocean, by a well-meaning little kid. I did not expect this, the starfish might have wondered, quivering at the top of its parabolic arc, a sky star for a moment. But I enjoyed that I didn't. Maybe. Quaint things your five-year-old daughter says after listening to a lot of Enid Blyton books. Good golly! How many pennies does this cost? Oh, what a dreadful bother. C'est abominable. You have very woolly brains. He was certainly in a great hurry, wasn't he? Shan't we go to the park? Oh dear, I've become tangled in the brambles. This wind snagged on a rosebush. Okay, everyone, that's us for today. That was part one of our foray into language and what things mean. Part two coming your way soon. Thanks for listening. Okay, bye. (laughs) 